Would you agree that there is no name like the name of Jesus? No name, no power, no authority, no, no dominion. And uh, man, what a great time of worship that was. I don't know how you felt, but I sensed the presence of God in this place. Do you? And I did. Hey, would you give our team a hand and let them know how much you appreciate them leading us in worship? Yesterday morning, uh, I started out at my uh, south office, and you know where that is, a little restaurant on South Florida Avenue there. And then I went from there to the gym. From the gym, I was uh, at my north office at the north campus. And uh, it was about 1240, I know, because or about 1245, actually. And my cell phone, which was right there beside me, went off. I looked down. It was my oldest sister. I have two sisters and one brother. And uh, I saw that my oldest sister was calling me. And I picked up the phone. And she did not say, um, you know, Jeff, mom has passed. She did not say that. She did not say, Jeff, uh, mom has taken her last breath. This is exactly what I heard her say when I picked up the phone. She said, Jeff, I mean, not hello, not where are you, not what are you doing. This is what she said. She said, Jeff, where are, uh, guess where your mama is. And then she said, your mama is in heaven. Because about four minutes prior to that, my mom had went home to be with Jesus. And uh, wonderful. I have been blessed. I don't have to conjure up great memories of my mom. A great, great mom. And uh, I'm going to miss her terribly. In fact, uh, I'm going to be leaving this afternoon. All of our family is going to converge in Atlanta the first part of the week. I'm going to leave this afternoon and spend some time with my, my little sisters who are little in terms of age, but little in terms of this way as well, and just be with them and, and love on them and support them. And then on Tuesday afternoon of this week, we'll all gather and uh, say goodbye to Mom. It's been, uh, it's been a weekend of a lot of crying. And I'm doing better communicating this in the second service, by the way, than I did the first time. Maybe the first run through helped me. But we've been doing a lot of crying, but we've also been doing a lot of celebrating. And we celebrate for mom. Because if we believe that the Bible is true, and I do believe that, by the way, then my mom is in the greatest place that anybody would ever want to be. My mom's in heaven. So we've been celebrating for her, crying for the rest of us because we're going to miss her so. What an amazing, amazing mom that we have been blessed with. And grandma and great-grandma. And so we're going to go honor her and pray that you'll be praying for us. I know you will. So many of you have already expressed that. Pray that God will help me to have the words to say. I'm not doing the message. My uncle, her brother will do that. But I've been asked to provide a family eulogy. And I want to honor my mom in such a way that she would be, she would be proud. And I pray that she will be. So thank you for that. And uh, thank you for all of your prayers. I'm very, very excited about this message series that we are going into, Beatitudes. We're starting that today. Everything's been up in the air, as you all could imagine. And so early in the week, I called my dear friend, and I consider him a dear, dear friend. And uh, in fact, there's, uh, you know, there's probably not going to be a lot of people in your life that you feel like you could uh, pick up the phone in the middle of the night, 3 a.m., and give them a call. And I think I could do that. Bill, why did you just cut your phone off? I just, no, no, he didn't really do that. But I sincerely believe that if I ever needed him, I could call him any time of the day or night. And my dear friend, Dr. Bill Hackett, would step right in. He's a, he's a wonderful, wonderful man of God. And I thought, well, you know what? This series is so important because it comes out of one of the greatest messages 
that Jesus ever provided, a collection of sayings and teachings. And I said, no, we're not going to delay. And I asked my dear friend early in the week, knowing everything was sort of scattered, we didn't know when mom was going to pass, if he would kick off this series because I could think of no better person than to help get this series moving than to ask Bill Hackett to come. And he's going to do that in just a moment. He's highly respected, highly regarded as a tremendous leader at uh, Southeastern University. And I respect him as a person. I respect him as an authentic follower of, of Jesus. I really do. I love to hear him talk about, you know, Jesus and the reality of Jesus and what Jesus will do in a person's life. And you know what? This is what I know about Bill. He not only talks about it, Bill actually lives it. Here's another thing I love about him. He's here in our church every single week. He's a part of our church family. So he understands the DNA and temperament of our church. And I thought, you know, why delay such an important series when I've got my dear friend that can step up and deliver with power the very first message. Next week, I'll pick up. In fact, that's the week I've been working on. Could you imagine? Jesus goes through these eight scenes. Bill's got to touch upon it in a brilliant way. Jesus goes through eight scenes. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. And the second one, and I've been working on this, blessed are those who mourn. I'm going to share that a week from today. And I can talk about it now, not only theologically. I could have before. But in the last three months, I can talk to you about this personally. And you may want to invite somebody that has been through loss, not just loss of a family member, but loss of a job or loss of a dream. And God says, I will bless those who mourn. They will be comforted. And I'll talk about that. But Bill's got to kick it off. I've already heard in the 930 service the message. It is amazing. And here's what I want you to do. Put your hands together and give a huge welcome, Dr. Bill Hackett. Thank you, Brad. Hey, let's pray for our pastor. He is our pastor, and uh, we feel his pain. Uh, we rejoice with him. I know his mom is in heaven saying, hey, I'm okay. Everything's good, and I, and I don't want to come back. Uh, it's, you know, that's the way it is, but to, to lift up uh, Jeff and his family, his sisters, his brother. So, Father, we do. We ask that you would touch and um, minister at this time. Uh, anytime we lose somebody, we feel the pain of the loss. Uh, it's a great comfort to know uh, when they were a believer that they're with you, but still we miss them. And so touch Jeff, uh, touch his family, touch his, uh, all those who knew his mom so well. And uh, let Tuesday just be a good uh, service to encourage, uh, to bless, and a time of remembrance for the joy that you have. We love our pastor. We're thankful for him. He feeds us every week. Uh, he feeds our soul. And so we are so grateful for him in this church and that we are, can be a family of support to him at this time. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Love you, Pastor. All right. Amen. Hey, uh, I love cold days that I can actually get out my coat and sweater and uh, pretend I'm up north uh, for a day or two or something like that. Uh, it's, it is kind of nice. And, and I, I think God gives us a cold day like this in Florida for all those Northerners who uh, grieve that, you know, it's so nice in Florida that they grieve. I wish I could sit by the fire and put a blanket on and get out of sweater. That, today's the day. So uh, make sure you do that and then get it over with and we can get back to warm weather at that point. That's the way I feel. I love being here in Florida and I love warm weather. I always felt like somebody stole me at birth and stuck me with a Northern family and I was meant to be in the South and be warm type of thing. But uh, we're, we're, we're starting this series on the, uh, uh, the Beatitudes, which are the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount and Matthew are three of my favorite chapters in Scripture, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Um, I say this all the time. If I could only have three uh, 
chapters, these would be the ones to help me survive and to make it and probably would be a challenge to me the rest of my life to, to try to fulfill what's there and to have the Holy Spirit work out in me. Uh, when, when you read, if you've read the New Testament at any point, you, you read Matthew and you read this in the fifth chapter and the Beatitudes and so forth, and then you go through and see the Sermon on the Mount. But when you get to Luke's gospel, you, you come across uh, some similar verses, which is not unusual. You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call them the look-alike, the synoptic gospels, that they have some common things in all three. They have some common things, and then they have some different things. And if you go to Luke chapter 6, you see a very similar passage, but it's not Luke's take on the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually another message that Jesus did, because it begins by saying Jesus spoke on a level place or on a plain. Uh, so it was on the mountain, and you, you, there are some similarities, but there are some, some major differences in the two talks. Luke's gospel only has 30 verses. Matthew's gospel has 107 verses for the Sermon on the Mount. But they're, they're, and they, they both include some things that the other doesn't have, but they also both include some things that both of them have. Both of them start with the Beatitudes, attitudes that should be in our life. But even if you read Luke chapter 6, you'll see that they're different from Matthew's. Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Luke says, blessed are the poor. And then the second one, he says, blessed are those who hunger. And then there's four of them there. And then you read another sentence in between and you get back. And then, and then Luke says, woe to you who are filled. Woe to you who are rich now. And so he has what we call these woes there and, and maybe become actually, uh, you know, uncomfortable to us as we read them. So we're going to look at not being blessed or the poor because he's talking about just poor people financially. Matthew includes both when he says poor in spirit, because probably when you're poor financially, you, you feel poor in spirit as well. But Matthew's is much broader at that point. Uh, they both close with the same parable, a parable of two men building a house who face the storms of life. One of the, one of the houses stands because he's built upon the rock. The other one falls because it's not built upon the rock. Both of them had the, uh, what, the golden rule, do unto others as, as you would like done unto you. Both of them have, you know, uh, be kind to your enemy, uh, turn the other cheek, love your enemy. Both of them have that. Uh, both of them uh, talk about, you know, uh, don't try to deal with the speck in your, your brother or sister's eye until you deal with the beam in your own eye. Uh, so there are some, some similarities there, but they are two different passages of Scripture when you examine them. Uh, and, and it's interesting to me that he starts with these Beatitudes. Uh, the Beatitudes, these eight attitudes that we look at here, are not optional for us as a Christ follower. They are something that should become a part of our life as the Holy Spirit works them in our life. These are things that we can't do on our own. Christ really and the work of his Holy Spirit are the one who help us to develop these attitudes in our life. And he wants us to develop all eight. It's not like, well, some people are meek over here and some people like Jeff mourn over here and, then, and some people are poor in spirit and, and then there's others that hunger and thirst. No, all those things need to be in our life. And particularly as we look at the Beatitudes of Matthew's gospel, we see a progression of one to the next, but it doesn't mean, okay, I'm no longer in that stage of being poor in spirit. I should always be in poor in spirit and move to the next and move to the next, but all of them should be in our life. And so it's kind of an overview, overview of what's there. 
but there are things that we as a Christ follower ought to do. And, and, and like I said, there's, they're, they're not something that I can come up on my own. It's interesting, too, in the, in the Beatitudes in Matthew, that the first four really talk about our relationship with God. And the last four talk about our relationship with one another. So if, if the gentleman would put this up on the screen, let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, and look at how Jesus begins the Beatitudes. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. I'm reading from the International, New International Version. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down. His, teachers, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So this is a teaching for us as Christ followers. This is just not general information. This is particularly directed to us as the believers of Christ, as the church. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Notice the transition here. Now, it's not only blessed are you a poor in spirit or mourn or something. Now he moves to blessed are you when you're merciful to others, for you will be shown mercy. Blessed are you when you're pure in heart, uh, for you shall see God. Blessed are you as a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Why? Because God is a God of peace. And he brings us into peace with him so we can be in right relationship. And then it says the last ones that really are kind of a combination in verse 10 and 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And we come to realize when you do live a right life, the world doesn't necessarily like us around, right? Because we make them uncomfortable. Uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And notice that this one results in the same as the first, blessed are you know, the kingdom of heaven there. But verse 11 says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. In other words, when he's saying, when you act like God, when Christ is working in your life and the Holy Spirit is changing your actions, you do make people uncomfortable. You know, prophets of God, you know, people like to be prophets. Prophets got killed. Prophets got thrown in jail. It's not the best place to be. When you, when you confront people with what is right and your lifestyle speaks that, it's going to bring tension there. But notice too, every single one of them begins with this word, blessed. It, it, it's kind of an interesting word that is used here. Each, each of them start with this particular thing. Uh, the word blessed means to be a privileged recipient of divine favor. Privileged recipient of God's favor. In classical Greek, it is described as the joy of the gods. So it was a common word that was out there in Greek at that time. And when you are blessed, well, you have the joy of the gods on your side. Well, well, that's what our Heavenly Father is saying. When we act in this way, when we allow the Holy Spirit to develop us and change our character and that we act like a Christ follower, he's saying you will be blessed and you have the joy of this God that's in heaven. Jeff kind of referred to that when it comes to your way of giving versus God's way of giving. When you do things God's way, you ultimately come blessed. We often think from our worldly perspective that if I have my way, I'm going to be blessed. 
And God's saying, you know, you're not. But when you have his way working in your life, he's saying, then you'll truly be blessed. This is where real joy comes. Uh, Another definition says this, it was a joy independent of changes in life. Being blessed was a joy independent of changes in life, a joy that pain, struggle, crises cannot take away. What if I were to advertise today on TV during the the commercials that are there and say, hey, for $19.95, I can sell you joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. $19.95 plus shipping and handling, right? You can have this. In fact, if you act today while we're in the service and you text or you call me, we can give you double the amount of joy for $19.95. Good deal. A joy that is unspeakable, that's full in glory. A joy that will be there independent of whether you're going through trial or struggle or pain or something like that. It will sustain you. It will be a deep joy deep in your heart that will not pass away. Sounds like a deal. You know what? Because you're here today, I'm offering it free. You don't have to pay $19.95. Put it in the offering next week, all right? But I'm offering it to you free. And you can get double, triple the joy that you can ever imagine. That's what Jesus is saying here, all right? This is the joy that God has to offer us when we follow his ways and walk in his will, and allow the Holy Spirit to work out his character and conduct in his life. This is what he wants for us. This is the type of joy that is there, right? It's, it's amazing that it was there. Now, I, as I said, the first four really deal with our, our relationship with him. So hey, we're going to talk about being poor in spirit. I'll come back to that. But it, let me just give you a, a kind of a brief definition of it. It means to be broken in our human spirit. It means to come to that place that says, I can't do it anymore. I lack, I lack the knowledge. I, I, I don't know how to resolve this issue. I can't settle this problem. Hey, let's take the opposite of poor in spirit, rich in spirit. Rich in my own human spirit. I can do all things all by myself. I am all powerful. I am all knowing. I am your answer person. I can do it all. I've got it together. Anything that can be done, I can do, and I can do it well, all by myself. I don't need anybody. I have that ability. Now, the world might say that's the way to go, but it's kind of scary. When I see students that think they have it all together, I grieve for them because I wonder where God is in that situation. When you, when you get to that place that you don't need God anymore, that becomes scary. When you start to wing it on your own and don't depend on him, that becomes scary at that point. You will not be blessed if you do that. You know, Paul tells us this in Philippians chapter 4, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can't do all things by myself. When I, when I start to think that way, that I can do all things by myself, I become rich in spirit, and I will not be blessed. Being poor in spirit is, is spiritual bank- bankruptcy, to realize I can't do it. I don't have the answer to this. Maybe, maybe you have a family crisis. 
Maybe you have a marriage relationship that's gone south, south at some point. Maybe, maybe it's raising kids that, you know, well, okay. Oh, things like that. Maybe there's just something at work. You don't know how to do it, how to resolve this situation. When you become poor in spirit and finally say, God, I can't do it anymore. I need outside help. A lot of times we see people that get to that place where they actually accept God to be in their life. They come to that place where they were, first of all, poor in spirit. They were broken at that point. I need some sort of outside intervention that human beings can't provide. I need some supernatural intervention. That's becoming poor in spirit. And when you finally realize that, yes, you probably mourn over the frustration that you can't do all things. And and it probably makes you meek and humble in the situation. You see how these Beatitudes progress? And and you get to that place when you finally realize it, you mourn and you you weak over your human situation all by yourself that you struggled and you're humbled by that particular thing. You hunger and thirst for a righteousness that you know you yourself can't provide. You need it from God. You need it from an outside source. And when you hunger and thirst for that, he tells us he'll give it to us. And and when you finally realize the blessed grace of God, the free unmerited favor that he blesses us when we are at our weakest point and most broken, and you see how much he loves us, you become a merciful person to others. That's the way it works. So you do become merciful to others and you receive mercy. And you do get to that place where you, 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 you want to be pure in your heart towards others. You want to be spotless in your life. And you become a peacemaker. Why? Because God has made peace with you. And because you live that way, and you live that way that people can observe it and see it, there will be tension. Uh, have you ever, as if you're a believer, have you ever hung around maybe some people that are unbelievers and they're uncomfortable with your presence? You didn't say anything. You're not holding a Bible or anything. But they, they start to tell a joke that it's not the cleanest joke. Oh, I can't say it right now because, you know, Joe's here type of thing. Oh, gosh. It's really a good joke, but Joe's here. You know, and they, 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 they maybe even feel guilty because they're drinking or, or doing something, you know, I, I don't know if I should have said that, you know, Joe's, I can't wait till Joe leaves so we can really have fun, all right? You know, really, that's what happens at times. But what's happening is Joe's impact is such, even his presence brings conviction on others because they're not there. They know they should be, but Joe makes them uncomfortable, not of his own doing, but just because he's living right, and they know they're not. So the best thing to do is get rid of Joe. In John chapter 3, it talks about loving God, but it says that even the people in darkness didn't love God, and they chose to love darkness rather than the light with the consideration that uh, I'd rather be here because the light's going to bring, you know, focus on all my imperfections in my life. So those that don't love God love darkness more than light. Why? Because they're comfortable in the darkness. And and that's where persecution comes in. So we see a progression here in these Beatitudes. And Jeff's going to pick up with this next week and begin with those that are moored and go through all eight of these. This is going to be a fantastic series of how we are to live this Christian life. But let's go back to this one being uh, uh, poor in our spirit. 
It's interesting that the very first thing when Jesus is sitting down and teaching his disciples that he begins this one. Blessed are you when you're poor in spirit. Blessed are you when you're broken. I, I, I think he probably caught them off guard. What, huh? I'm blessed when I'm broken? I'm blessed when I'm, when I'm down in my human spirit? That's not what I heard at this encouragers uh, conference that I went to, that I am to be more assertive and step out and so forth. It's everything contrary to what I heard at that workshop that my company paid you know, $150 for me to attend. No, blessed are you when you're poor in spirit. Jesus, what are you saying here? doesn't seem to make sense. It's not the way that we live. There's something wrong with that. But he's saying, blessed are you when you have poverty in your spirit. And this is not a new idea of being poor in spirit. It's something that was ingrained in the Old Testament as well. In Psalm 34, 6, it talks about a poor man who cried out to God in his need. And it said, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. A poor man. Now, is he poor physically or is he just a poor guy? You know, I I think the broadness of that is inclusive in this particular idea that whenever we're poor and we cry out to God, he he will come and save us from our troubles because that's the way God works. In fact, I think most of the time, God is waiting for us to get that way. When we're rich in our spirit and doing things on our own, he's kind of sitting back and saying, oh, you don't need any help? Okay, go ahead. I I can wait. I can wait. But when we finally get to that place, God, I need you. He said, hey, you know, I could have helped you way over here, but you thought you could do it by yourself? Okay, I can wait. But I'm here for you when you finally get to that place, when you finally realize That as a human being, we have faults and we have frailties and and we have things that are just not there. Yes, you know, God ordains that we should all have certain strengths and abilities and things that we can do well. True? All of us can do certain things well that God has blessed us with. But God has also ordained that there are certain things that we can't do well. We don't have a certain ability to... You don't want me singing with the worship team. If I am, you know, the sound people need to turn down my mic, all right? Uh, You don't want that. Uh, My singing is for my shower and God, all right? But other than that, you know, you just don't want that. But isn't that the way God made us? So we work with one another. We blend together. You don't want to marry someone just like you, all right? Just sexually, that can be a, a problem. You'll never have kids, but, it, you know, even otherwise, you, you might kind of clash in areas. You want somebody who has strengths where you have weaknesses. And so you're not collecting, hitting one another at the same place. You're actually blending with the other person, and you become one. You want a certain person that has strengths where you have weaknesses, and you offer your strengths where they have weaknesses, Right? You work together. That's the idea of a team. When you build a good team, you don't put other people on the team that are just like you. You put people on the team that are sharp in areas that you're not sharp. That's why I put you on there. I don't have the gift you have, but I want you on the team because together we can do more as a team at that point. We can become one. That's the body of Christ. That's why he even uses that model of the body of Christ. And so I realized that I have certain weaknesses. Well, that's where I pray to God to help me in those areas. 
And maybe he's going to supply a person. Maybe he's going to supply a situation. But somehow he's going to help out because now I get to that place where I'm poor in spirit. So Jesus starts out by saying this, all right? Blessed are the poor, not the rich. Blessed are the feeble, the the weak and so forth, not the mighty. Blessed are the, the little children. I mean, he uses examples all the way through scripture to tell us it's the opposite of what we would normally think. Right? And so he's telling us we need to work on these things. Right? In our Lord, uh, Lord's own day, it was not the Pharisees who entered the kingdom of God. Right? They thought they were rich and, and when it comes to doing the law. They thought they were rich financially. Uh, and, but they didn't, weren't there. It, it wasn't the zealots who got it, who thought that we, if we can overcome Rome by power, we can bring in God's kingdom. No, it's not the mighty where you have the kingdom of God. It's the poor. It's the prostitute. It's the tax collector. It's a sinner. It's those that are weak that went in. And that was so confusing to people when Jesus came on the scene. And I'm sure it was confusing to the disciples as he starts this sermon. And the first thing he says, blessed are you when you're poor in spirit. That doesn't make sense. And then to go on to talk about mourning and meekness, those are not the qualities that the world holds up as strength and power in their mind. It's basically saying, blessed are you when you're desperate. That's what God is saying. The poor in spirit know that they are in need of help and redemption. They know they can't do it on their own. The poor in spirit know their utter need of dependence on God. Without him, I am nothing. With him, I can accomplish all things. The poor in spirit have no exaggerated sense of their self-importance. We become meek and humble at that. It's not all about me. The poor in spirit hear the gospel as good news, not as scolding them, but as good news. It's a word of comfort to them. The poor in spirit respond to the gospel with a certain abandonment and just an uncomplicated life that they give over to God. The poor in spirit have an open acceptance and excitement about the free, undeserved mercy of God. Poor in spirit realize they have no other recourse than God. We need to live in that way. There's a parable in in Luke chapter 18 where a Pharisee who, again, rich in spirit, believed he had it all together. He was following all the Jewish rules in his mind, plus 600 other laws that were there. He goes up in the temple, and when he prays, he prays, Lord, I thank you that I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I'm thankful that I'm not like this guy over here, a tax collector. And then the tax collector prays, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says when the two of them walked out, it was the tax collector who God blessed, who God saw as right in his sight. Over the years, the church has called that the Jesus prayer, a prayer that we ought to maybe say every single day. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Realize that I am always of need of God. The fall caused this, and I'm still there. But God has given me a way out, and I can be blessed once I acknowledge where I am and realize that I am in need of him. Adam and Eve were tempted with the idea that if you eat this fruit, you can become like God. You won't need him anymore. 
right? That's scary. When we realize that we need God all the time, God is happy and he will give us the most happiness that we can have. And it won't even cost us $19.95 plus shipping and handling. That's the good news, right? Blessed are you who are poor in spirit for yours is the kingdom of God. Not a future thing. He doesn't say for you will have it someday. No, for yours is the kingdom of God. That's present tense. It's here for you right now. You can enter into God's kingdom when you finally come to that place that you realize that you're poor in spirit and you can't do it on your own. Yours is. We have more and more when we're poor in our own human spirit. We have more and more than we would ever realize. We do have that joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's interesting. I don't know if you've, maybe some of you have heard that, that, you know, it is well with my soul, Right? Ever seen that sentiment it is well with my soul? I, I love that because the story behind that is the, the songwriter lost his family in a shipwreck. And yet he penned that song after that. There's times that I walk across campus at Southeastern, how can, how you do? It is well with my soul. Why? Because that wellness that God provides is good no matter whether I'm having a bad day or, you know, or, or a good day. I, I said bad down here, good up here. All right? But it, because always it is well because I have God in my life. It's interesting. One of the passages I use in one of my classes to kind of start out the semester I'll be using in this week, it comes out of uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. And, and, and it's interesting that Peter writes this, right? Because this is not the Peter that we read about in, in the Gospels. It, it is that Peter. But there's an attitude change that has happened in his life somewhere down the road. Right? Yes, he was a believer when he was a follower, but Peter kind of had this cocky attitude that I can do it. Hey, these other disciples might follow. Not me, not me. I'm here for you. you know? He, he kind of had that attitude that he could do it all. Right? Something happened in the resurrection, uh, in the cross and then the resurrection, and on the beach in John chapter 21 that changed his life. But he writes in, in his epistle, in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, he writes to the elders And he says, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Jesus Christ's sufferings, but also the glory that is to be revealed. And he gives some qualities of what an elder in the church, a leader in the church should look at. But then it comes to the fifth verse, and it's up there on the screen. It says this, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. Now, I always, you know, it's a nice way to start my classes because I'm like the oldest guy in the room, right? Submit to me. So it, it sounds nice, but it says all of you, all of you, whether you're young or old, clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but he gives favor to the humble. God hates arrogance. God hates cockiness. Humble yourselves, verse 8 says what? Uh, Humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand, and he will lift you up in due time. You don't have to lift up yourself. You don't need status or fame that you acquire on your own strength to do and to put yourself in a position. Allow God to lift you up. Meekness is not going to hurt us. Mourning is not going to hurt us. Hungering and thirst for righteousness is not going to hurt us. Being poor in spirit is not going to hurt us. He will lift us up in due time. But then what is it? what's the, the last verse stays there? It says, cast all your anxiety. Cast all your cares on him. 
for you because he cares for you. You know, sometimes living in the Beatitudes, being poor in spirit, we wonder if God notices. And we wonder if other people notice. Hey, people are not paying attention to me in this situation. And God's saying, don't worry about it. When you're frustrated with that, he says, you know what? Cast your care on me because I care for you. Right? When you're frustrated, the people are, are not observing you as you like or you don't have to say, I'm going to lift you up in due time. You know, understand that his time is, is not our time. We win it now. But he'll lift us up in due time. Maybe due time is in heaven. I don't know. But I, I believe his word is true and that he will lift us up in due time and to let our life be seen for what it is, the quality of it, when we live in a Christ-like way. Don't worry about fame. You know, the golden, the, what, the Golden Globes are on tonight. People that we're going to acknowledge, superstars, movie stars, we're acknowledged that. Maybe that's all the fame they're ever going to have. There's a different reward ceremony, ceremony for the believers. David said, that, what, in, in Psalm 51, after he had sinned with Bathsheba, in his prayer, he said, Lord, you don't want sacrifices. You want a, what, a broken and a contrite heart. You want a heart that's broken. That's what God loves. And that's what he blesses. And, you know, I, I can remember when I was in, in seminary uh, in, in the Boston area. And um, we had a professor uh, that was there, the adjunct professor. It wasn't full-time, but adjunct. But he was also a pastor of a very large church in Lexington, Mass., his name was Gordon McDonald. Gordon was, uh, it could have been, uh, you know, just with his looks, he just, it could have been an actor, a movie star type of thing. He just had blonde hair, just, uh, just you'd walk by him, and even as a guy, you, you kind of stop. Not that any physical sexual attraction here, but, you know, just kind of stop. Man, that's a handsome-looking guy. Uh, he, he pastored, like I said, probably one of the largest churches at the time in, in New England. And he authored a number of books, and he was a good speaker. Right, so he was kind of like a popular adjunct on our campus. Uh, later on, I heard that, that Gordon became the president of a Christian organization called InterVarsity uh, Christian Fellowship, which is a campus ministry internationally. And big on every college campus, there's probably an InterVarsity uh, club that's there. Uh, not only that, but InterVarsity Press produces books that are pretty much gauged for the university students. Uh, they'll, they'll you know, kind of present God in a very intellectual way and so forth. Good books to read. And he became president of that. And then later on, I heard that he, he stepped down from that position. I took in my, my doctoral course, I had a particular individual, his name was Verdon Grounds, and he was, it was kind of a mentor and a national figure at that time in the evangelical world. And he told us the story of, of Gordon because it kind of dealt with the class that we were dealing with. And he said, he said, I had to actually mentor Gordon through a time because Gordon puts it this way, he failed in his marriage vows. And so he went through a time where he stepped down from university and stepped down from all those positions and went through probably about a two-year period of restoration where different mentors like Vernon Ground spoke into his life. Now, what was interesting that before the fall, one of the books he wrote was called this, Ordering Your Private World. It was a good part on planning and, and, and instruction and so forth and getting your life orderly and, and putting things in order. Great book along that line. Very popular book. But after he fell, he eventually, and, and was restored and was pastoring again and started speaking again, he wrote a book called Rebuilding Your Broken World. 
rebuilding your broken world. And, and in that, he, he talks about his fall, the very things that I'm telling you. You know, he, he talked about that particular time. And, and in that, he has a chapter on what he calls uh, the PDIs, Preventative Defense Initiatives. So he's writing to people that are believers, and he's saying, if you would put these preventative defense initiatives in your life, it would keep you from perhaps making the fall that I made in my marriage vows and had to go through that time as a leader. Now, you become under attack when you're a leader at times. And so he has eight what I call PDIs, preventative defense initiatives. Listen to a couple of them. Number one is adopt a repentant lifestyle. Adopt a repentant lifestyle. What is he saying? He says, if you read that one in, in full, he says, take every day you know, to kind of examine yourself and ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, if you see any wicked ways in me, anything of trouble, bring it to the surface. I want to deal with it. Why? Because I want a pure heart. Adopt a repentive lifestyle. The second one, pay the price of regular spiritual discipline. Why is Jeff encouraging us to, to, to go through a plan, reading through the Bible? Why did we talk about that last week? To become pure and blameless. Because, you know, we, it's, it's doing those spiritual practices that can often give uh, opportunity for the Holy Spirit to, to kind of bring something else that needs work in our life. When I read through the Bible, there's times that the Holy Spirit will kind of point to a verse and say, Hackett, you need to work on this one. You're you're not being the person you should be. You need to work on this one a little bit more. So I've given a tool by by reading through the Bible. The Holy Spirit can do that and speak to me. A a third one, he says, is cultivate key relationships. In other words, he's saying put people in your life that can speak into you and are close enough to to say, hey, you need to be working on this. What's God speaking to you? You know, you, you have an attitude that needs to be worked on. People that would, can really be honest with you in front of you. Why? Because they love you. They're not pharisaical. They're caring friends that love you and want the best of your life, but they're going to be honest with you and hold you accountable. And, 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 and the fourth one is this. Resist the applause that belongs to God. That, that, that comes down to poor in spirit. You know, when I'm doing it all by myself, God's not getting any applause. When it's all about me, okay, yeah, I'm doing really well. Where's God in that? God gets the applause. Hey, anything that I do well comes from him, enabling me and strengthening me. I don't even remind myself, but by myself I am weak. But with him, I can do all things well that he enables me to do. So it's just kind of interesting that, that Gordon McDonald would write these things in that book to tell us that this is what it means to live a life that will keep you pure. And this is what, what Jesus is saying with this beatitude. You can truly be happy in the deepest sense of, of the world when it's well with your soul if you would practice this, beginning with being poor in your spirit, allowing that spiritual bankruptcy there, coming to that place that you realize, without God, I can't do anything. With him, I can do great things. Jesus is telling us that the only way to enter the kingdom The only way, the first door that we turn, the first attitude that we need to have is to be broken, to be poor in our human spirit. God, I need your help. I need you. I can't do this marriage thing. I can't do this work thing. I can't do this parenting thing. I can't do this growing up thing by myself. I need you. I need you to help me in this. And he will cause that situation when we do that turn to, to become blessed and we become blessed in the process.
So maybe you come here today and you're, you're broken in something and you're struggling with something. God's saying, come to me. Come to me or you're weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God is putting his arms out and he's saying, that's exactly where I want you. Repentance isn't a sad thing. Repentance is joy. In Luke chapter 15, there's three parables about something being lost. A sheep, a coin, and a son. And when they finally come to that place, like the son, where he's realized he's sinned not only against his father, but against God, there's joy and celebration when that which is lost is found. If you're here today and you're struggling with something, give it to God. God's arms are open wide and saying, if you would give it to me, you will be blessed. Father God, we thank you for your word that encourages us. It's not like the world would give, so radically different. It's not about being strong and powerful and mighty and having status. It begins with having, being poor in spirit, having that brokenness in our life. And Father, if there's ones here today that are struggling and, and, and just need prayer, just lift your hands up now. I just want to pray for you. If there's a couple, I see some hands going up all around this room. Father, I don't know the situation that they're in. Maybe some don't know you and, and they just need your help. Well, Jesus, we know that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us and we can enter into the kingdom. I know some that lifted up their hands are believers and they just are struggling at that place of brokenness and something. Father, they give it up to you. We give it up to you. Let us live these beatitudes. Let us develop these attitudes in our life. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, have a blessed day. Stay warm. Stay warm. All right. Love you.